0: to British Murders, a true crime podcast with a focus on British murder cases. My name's Stuart Blues and I'm excited for you to join me on this journey of morbid discovery. I'm by no means an expert on the subjects of homicide and serial killers, however I have always had a sick fascination with them. Together we will learn about some of the lesser known British murderers as well as glimpsing occasionally at some of the more notorious ones. The bite-sized presentation of this podcast is intentional, as we look to cover an overview of the respective timelines of each case succinctly. In the late 1980s, Britain's TV sets were blessed with game shows. Mastermind, Family Fortunes, Catchphrase and Wheel of Fortune instantly come to mind. However, there was one show in particular that was not only popular but it unknowingly featured the subject of this episode on the show as a guest in May, 1989. That guest was 48 year old Welshman, John William Cooper. The show I'm referring to is Bullseye, a darts themed game show, whereby three pairs of contestants, each consisting of an amateur darts player and a quizzer competed in darts games and quizzes to win cash and prizes. Throughout the show, Cooper would often look down and avoid eye contact with the show's host, Jim Bowen, something which would have initially been put down to nerves. However, as his story unfolds throughout this episode, watching the footage back will be truly chilling. When the episode was filmed, Cooper had already murdered two people four years earlier, and within three weeks of filming, he would go on to murder two more. John Cooper was born on September 3rd, 1944 in Milford Haven, a town in the county of Pembrokeshire, Southwest Wales. Pembrokeshire is known for being a place of outstanding natural beauty, as well as one of the safest places to live in the UK. Within the county is Pembrokeshire Coast National Park, Britain's only coastal national park. The Pembrokeshire Coast Path is a 299km trail within the national park, and one of the villages along the trail is Little Haven, a popular holiday destination. In June 1989, an English couple from Oxford, south-east England, visited a campsite in Little Haven as they did every year. Peter and Gwenda Dixon would make the long trip each summer and spend some well-deserved time off together on the beautiful Pembrokeshire coast. On June 29, 1989, the couple went for a walk on the coastal path. It was the last day of their holiday and Due to torrential rain the previous evening, they wanted to pass some time whilst their tent dried. Unfortunately for Peter and Gwenda, this wasn't just the last walk of their holiday, it was their last walk ever. Around half a mile from the campsite, Peter and Gwenda Dixon entered a wooded area. An individual wearing a balaclava suddenly appeared out of the woods brandishing a sawn off shotgun and asked for the couple's money before shooting them. Worried after not hearing from his parents, two days later, Peter and Gwenda's son reported them missing, and police started searching the campsite in Little Haven and its surrounding areas. Former Chief Superintendent Don Evans noted the bodies of Mr and Mrs Dixon were found in a ravine, stating it was the most horrific scene he'd ever come across. The bodies were found six feet apart, tied up, and there was evidence of shotgun wounds. It was evident the couple had been robbed before being shot in the face at point-blank range with the sawn-off shotgun. After this gruesome discovery, Pembroke's largest ever murder inquiry was launched. This, understandably, sent shockwaves throughout the typically quiet, rural community. One of the items stolen from Peter Dixon was his cash card and his PIN number. Their murderer had used the card to withdraw roughly £300 in cash from various cash points in the area. This is such an insignificant amount of money considering the means taken to get it. It shows that the individual wasn't simply looking to rob the couple, but rather to satisfy his sadistic murderous cravings by also violently killing the Dixons in cold blood. Witnesses provided descriptions of a man using cash machines in Pembroke, a town in Pembrokeshire. Police interviewed a total of 6,000 people, including one John William Cooper. Peter Dixon had had his wedding ring stolen, which was subsequently sold. Having recently sold a similar wedding ring, Cooper explained to the police that this was, in fact, his ring, a statement which was supported by his family. At that point nothing could link Cooper to the case as either a suspect or a person of interest. He had a violent past, however this was not known to police at the time. Cooper's son, Andrew, said that he was nine years old when his dad first got violent with him. Andrew had refused to wear a pair of shorts and Cooper violently attacked him, bouncing him off door frames and throwing him around like a rag doll. Cooper had a facade when he was at the pub or out playing darts often being patted on the back by his friends whilst they referred to him as good old Johnny. After 18 months with no leads, the murder inquiry was scaled down. Four years prior to the double murder of the Dixons, there was another double murder 10 miles from Little Haven. In December 1985, police were called to a house fire in Scoverston Park, a small village in Pembrokeshire. Inside the house were the badly burnt bodies of Richard Thomas and his sister Helen. Richard had been shot in the head and stomach. Helen had been tied up and shot in the head. The house fire was suspected as being deliberately set in an attempt to hide any evidence relating to the double murder. The motive appeared to be a robbery that had gone terribly wrong. Police believed the house had been targeted as the robber believed that Helen was home alone. However, they were disturbed by Richard's arrival and panicked. The likelihood is that the victims knew their killer. Cooper lived less than a mile away from Scoverston Park. When he was questioned, Cooper and his family gave each other alibis which led to them not being regarded as suspects or persons of interest. Cooper told his son to tell the police casually as you like. Uh, Just say, we're all doing this. You know what they're like. They're just going to annoy us otherwise. Andrew thought nothing of it at the time, as he felt like he couldn't say no to his dad. In March 1996, having evaded police twice, Cooper struck again. Five local teenagers were walking through the fields of Milford Haven when they noticed a man walking towards them with a torch just as it was starting to get dark. He was wearing dark clothing, including a balaclava, and holding a sawn-off shotgun. After tormenting the teenagers, Cooper raped and sexually assaulted two females in the group before robbing them all. Intimidation was used by way of firing the shotgun in the air as a warning shot. Once more, nobody was caught, bringing the total number of unsolved cases in Pembrokeshire to three within ten years. At the same time, the area was plagued with burglaries and armed robberies. The robberies tended to follow the same pattern as with Helen Thomas. Single females were targeted during the evening by a sole attacker wearing a balaclava and carrying a sawn-off shotgun. In November 1996, the attacker was disturbed during one of the robberies. When fleeing the scene, the robber discarded some of the items he was carrying in a hedge. When conducting inquiries in the local area of the burned down House, police found stolen goods at a house they were making inquiries at. The house was that of John Cooper. Police searched both Cooper and his family's houses with a great deal of lost property being recovered from both. The evidence found connected Cooper to 29 burglaries and an armed robbery where he used a sawn-off shotgun and wore a balaclava. There's a little bit of a pattern developing here. Police believed Cooper had realistically committed around 70 burglaries. This was the first time Cooper became a suspect of the murders on the Pembrokeshire coast path and Scoverston Park. Cooper was questioned about the two double murders and, when being transferred from a police van to the station, is quoted as saying, I am not a murderer. They're using me to clear old crimes. They shouldn't be allowed. Forensic evidence at the time drew a blank in relation to the two double murders. However, Cooper was sentenced to 14 years in prison for burglary and robbery. In 2006, a cold case review was launched in regards to the three unsolved cases in Pembrokeshire. New forensic techniques were used and a total of one and a half to two million pieces of paper had to be physically reviewed. Due to Cooper's consistent denial... Police had to find what they call a golden nugget of evidence. Essentially, one key piece of evidence that would mean Cooper's guilt could be proved beyond doubt. An interview team was put together to find out more information about John Cooper than even he knew himself. In public, Cooper came across as pleasant and well-mannered. Behind closed doors, he took his aggression out on his son, Andrew. Cooper once struck his son to the ground put a foot on his chest, and placed the barrel of his shotgun in Andrew's mouth. He would then proceed to tell 11-year-old Andrew how worthless he was, that the family didn't want him anymore, before saying he should end his life. Cooper even went to the extreme of slowly pulling the trigger until it clicked. Unbeknownst to Andrew, there were no cartridges in the gun. Now that has to be one of the worst examples of mental torture to a child that I've ever heard in my life. Andrew has stated that this was the day his childhood died. Cooper was a keen gambler and in 1979 won £90,000 on a spot the ball competition. This is where typically it's a picture of a football or soccer game. The ball in the picture is removed and people guess where they think the ball is. The winner then gets the grand prize. His family never benefited from the winnings. It was all spent on more gambling and alcohol. The alcohol then led to more beatings. When Andrew was 12, Cooper grabbed him, bounced him off the walls and started punching him with one hand while strangling him with the other. As a result of a particularly brutal punch to the back during this incident, Andrew to this day has 12 screws holding his spine together. Cooper soon lost his £90,000 winnings through business ventures that had no merit and were destined to fail from the outset. This is what police believe led to the burglaries that followed. He craved respect, so when he was interviewed, police were encouraged to listen to Cooper and let him talk, the hope being that they could use some of what he said to challenge him later down the line of the investigation. In July 2008... Cooper was interviewed by police for four days. He was still serving time in prison for burglary... ...however a release date was imminent. For the first three days... ...police simply allowed Cooper to talk without responding. He believed the judge in his robbery trial... ...had ordered the Sornoff shotgun to be destroyed... ...and he was obsessing over this during the interviews. Cooper seemed worried that the shotgun had not yet been destroyed. It had already been forensically examined but police asked scientists to inspect it again. Cooper was then returned to his cell to see out the last few months of his sentence. In January 2009, Cooper was released from prison after serving 10 years for burglary and armed robbery. Two years after the Cold Case Review was launched in 2006, after finding no forensic evidence, the team changed their approach and started to look at clothing fibres. One item chosen to be reviewed was a pair of Cooper's shorts. The shorts matched the profile of an artist's impression of the suspect seen using Peter Dixon's cash card after his murder in 1989. Three years deep into the inquiry, the team had built a strong circumstantial case against Cooper, however the golden nugget of evidence was still missing. In April 2009, however, there was finally a breakthrough. After examining tapings from Cooper's shorts, a spot of blood was discovered by forensic experts. The spot of blood belonged to Peter Dixon. It was a full blood profile, meaning that it could be less than one in a billion people. This essentially means the evidence was incredibly strong, and the likelihood of this not being Peter Dixon's blood was minimal. The police finally had their golden nugget of evidence, a link to one of the unsolved double murders. Further evidence was discovered on a shotgun found in a hedge, which was linked to Cooper by a screw found in his shed. The screw had come out of a hole in the gun. The barrel of the gun had been painted black, and underneath it, blood DNA had been preserved. Once more, it was the blood of Peter Dixon. Police had found the murder weapon. Cooper had actually preserved the evidence for the police by painting the gun after killing Peter and Gwenda Dixon. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, Peter appeared on TV game show Bullseye around three weeks prior to killing the Dixons. ITV, the channel who air Bullseye to an audience of around 17 million, notified police that his side profile matched that of the artist's impression of the man seen using Peter Dixon's bank card to withdraw cash. This was yet another crucial piece of evidence. In May 2009... Cooper was arrested for the murder of Peter and Gwenda Dixon. Footage online actually exists of the moment police apprehend Cooper just walking down the street. It doesn't go down easy, I'll tell you that much. It took five or six officers to apprehend him. It's quite hard to tell with the video because it's quite shaky. It's filmed from what I assume is an unmarked police car on the side road. He'd only been out of prison for six months before being arrested again. After they did arrest him, police searched Cooper's car and found gloves, a rope, and an Ordnance Survey map of parts of Pembrokeshire. Ordnance Survey is the National Mapping Agency for Great Britain. Cooper was taken to Haverford West Police Station in Pembrokeshire to be interviewed. The intention was to connect Cooper to the exhibits that had been forensically linked to the murders of Peter and Gwenda Dixon. Cooper was shown the artist's impression of the suspect seen withdrawing cash using Peter Dixon's cash card before being shown his own pair of shorts. He did admit the shorts were his, however he denied that they resembled the shorts being worn by the individual portrayed in the artist's impression. Cooper then unintentionally incriminated himself further by stating that the shorts in the artist's impression were long shorts, whereas the pair he owned were short shorts. This led to police unstitching the hem of Cooper's shorts. Inside the hem, investigators found a DNA profile which matched that of Julie Dixon, the daughter of Peter and Gwenda Dixon. This revelation led police to believing the shorts were actually Peter Dixon's and were stolen from his rucksack by Cooper. There was no other logical explanation as to how some of Julie's DNA came in contact with the shorts. Cooper had actually kept these shorts for 10 years. It's suspected as being a memento of the murders which Cooper kept as a form of control, something which he was obsessed with having at all times. In 1998, when he was accused of burglary, police took sweepings from Cooper's shed in his garden. Fibres were found in those sweepings from gloves and a balaclava left in a hedge near Cooper's house. Scientists look for matching fibres on exhibits from the four murders and the violent sexual attack on the teenagers in Milford Haven. Fibres from the abandoned gloves were found in the underwear of the rape victim in the Milford Haven attack. Fibres from one of the gloves were found in the sewn hem of the shorts recovered from Cooper's house. Fibres found in the pockets of the shorts were linked to fibres found on the socks of Richard Thomas from the Scoverston Park murders. Cooper incriminated himself by using the same weapons and clothing for each of the crimes he committed. The fibres found on the mementos kept by Cooper linked him to all three of the unsolved cold cases. Despite the overwhelming amount of evidence against him, Cooper still maintained his innocence. Cooper even attempted to blame his son Andrew of committing the crimes. On May 14, 2009, when asked by police about Peter Dixon's blood being found on his shorts... Cooper replied, My wife sourced the shorts. More worryingly, is that my son used to take my clothes whenever he wanted. That would be more of a worry for a father. The murder trial of John Cooper began in March 2011. He is shown by TV cameras on his way to the trial shouting, Judge me after the trial, not before. The two girls who Cooper raped and sexually assaulted in Milford Haven gave their testimony to the jury during the trial. Andrew Cooper also agreed to testify for the prosecution, claiming he was doing what he thought was right and noting that he would do it again. After a nine-week trial, it took the jury three days to come to a verdict. Cooper was found guilty of all charges. The judge was noted as saying, The murders were of such evil wickedness, the mandatory sentence of life will mean just that. In September 2011, Cooper lodged an application to appeal against his convictions. It was unsuccessful. Cooper remains behind bars to this day in an undisclosed prison. That was the story of British murderer John William Cooper. Many thanks to Real Crime and the documentary they released in November 2011 as it helped my research for this episode greatly. The documentary is on YouTube and I can't recommend it enough. They did a great job with it. For more British murders, please like and subscribe to my channel on social media. All the links are in the episode description. Feel free to send any British murder case suggestions to me, either via social media or via email. That's britishmurderspodcast at gmail If you're enjoying British murders, please leave me a review on iTunes and Facebook, as it really helps my channel grow and would be greatly appreciated. For now, I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, cheerio.